0: people. Welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet. Uh, Laron is coughing his guts up, so he decided not to come in today. And Patty is R-A-L-L, running a little bit late. Uh, Our our guest, and we're just laughing here in the studio, she misplaced her car keys but did find them about 10 minutes before the show started. So, Patty, if you're on your way in, we'll see you when you get here. Our guest is Steve Sprinkle. He is the... um, emeritus professor of practical theology at Bright Divinity School. Uh, he was the first openly gay scholar to be uh, tenured in the school's history. He's a Baptist minister, and his book is Unfinished Lives. We'll talk about all those kinds of things. Uh, when I say Professor Emeritus, welcome back, Steve.
1: Thank you so much, David. It's wonderful to receive your invitation. Glad to be with you in your audience.
0: Yeah, first time you're here as retired yeah how's Uh, that going oh oh, patty made it
1: hooray i'm doing great as a matter of fact i recommend retirement it's the great it's a great thing to do but people always seem to think that you've got all kinds of extra time and you're willing to do everything you do for free that's interesting
0: now yeah i mean this week didn't have a guest and i was thinking who has nothing to do? Steve, he's retired. There you go. No. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm
1: having a wonderful time because, uh, as we've shared with each other before, David, I'm serving in a an honorary position at the Episcopal Church of St. Thomas the Apostle here in Dallas as their theologian in residence.
0: And I'm having a great
1: time over there.
0: And what does a theologian in residence do as opposed to a theologian who stops by... Well,
1: actually, a theologian in residence is an educator on site. Mm. You know, somebody who works with them in developing their educational program and carrying out special events. For example, uh, I did a, a six-week series on the war in Ukraine and uh, a four-week series on Christian nationalism that just ended. Mm. So, those kinds of things have kept me busy. So, it's really busy. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I've been having a great time. Are you getting paid? Oh, the only thing that I'm getting paid with is a warm handshake. But that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> that's nothing new. People who have been in, in clergy positions know what that is like. It's all good. I really like them. Well, we're going to give you three warm handshakes as
2: you leave today.
1: <laughs> uh, I, want, I want the hand, handshakes and hugs and
0: everything else. I'm happy to be here. Um. So you... Let's jump right in. Yeah. Christian nationalism that you just mentioned.
1: Yeah, how about
0: that? Um, We just had the anniversary of January 6th. Yes. Um, The research has revealed that
1: uh, white supremacy and Christian nationalism played uh, an integral role in the attack upon the United States Capitol. Uh, take, for example, quote, America's general, close quote, Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn, even though he is an Irish Catholic by background, is a Christian nationalist. And um, these, these people, in their intent,
0: are uh, not good people. What is their intent? What are they looking for?
1: Their intent is uh, to establish uh, authoritarian control over American cultural and political life. Nothing less. How would you define Christian nationalism? Christian nationalism is an ideology more than it is religious. It has to do with the identity of groups. They're groups of people, for example, white conservative Christians, usually white evangelical Christians, who've identified uh, their prime goal uh, to bend the United States political system and cultural and societal life to their vision of uh, conservative authoritarianism. That's what they do. What and
0: attracts? What attracts um, certain? conservative sects I don't know if sect is even the right word to Uh use but um, what attracts them to this because you would think it would interfere with their freedom to worship the way they want to worship
1: well um, one would think so but um, you know in order to talk about Christian nationalism in the United States I think you really have to talk about the history of America as a country because the roots of Christian nationalism go back to the um, to the founding of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, at least mm. as far as that. Because of course the Puritans, who were conservative by background and were dissenters against uh, the Church of England, uh, came to the United States to live out, quote, religious liberty, close quote, by which they meant uh, a colony that was going to be uh, in lockstep in terms of thought and practice in their religion. They did not brook uh, any dissent in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. They didn't in the Connecticut Bay Colony either. Uh, Just think about why it was that Lord Baltimore had to establish a colony in Maryland for the practice of Roman Catholicism in this country because they weren't welcome in New England. Hmm. So that kind of, of expression goes back a long way in America. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Puritans <coughs> were uh, in the mold or model of Christian nationalists as we know them now. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but the, it's the same idea of mm-hmm. controlling what you believe, how you live your life. How did New England, which went from being so right-wing turn to being you know massachusetts vermont we think of those as reliably liberal states
1: i've got a catty answer i think that they got tired of the bs (laughs) they lived with it long enough they didn't want to do it anymore i mean uh, that might be partially true though yeah i think so i mean new hampshire's state motto is live free or die yes that's right
2: you know so individualism is a is a
1: thing that's right they respect but in in the United States, of course, very early on, white supremacy expressed itself in the ownership of other people um, it uh, It's a long and and sad story, and it continues to this very day. here in the modern era, uh, white. Evangelicals, uh, especially say in our area of North Texas, have identified themselves as Christian nationalists. They have taken the Star Spangled Banner and wrapped the Bible in it so tightly that people seem unable to read any scripture without nationalistic ideas invading how they read it.
2: And, uh, uh wasn't it um, I think it was Sinclair Lewis that said when when fascism <coughs> comes to the United States it'll be wrapped in a flag and a bible
1: yes that's how it's done here and um, while there are millions upon millions of people from other faith groups not just Christian groups but other groups that uh, resist that type of thinking um Evangelicalism has been particularly good about uh, uh, indoctrinating its people. Think for example about one of the hallmarks of the Christian national movement which is first of all the Christian school movement which was popularly conceived as a way of escaping integration. You know, we wouldn't have to put our children in school with um, black people. brown people. Those people, that's right. Uh, but if you dig down into the history of that Christian school movement, it actually was a sectarian Christian movement hmm. that embraced white supremacy to the point that it expressed it in, in, that, in the establishment of Christian schools all across the South and the Midwest. And uh, of course that evolved. They don't like to talk about evolution, by the way, (laughs) that's what they, they would rather not talk about. But it evolved into the homeschool movement. Now let me hasten to say that not all homeschoolers are Christian nationalists, and not all Christian nationalists are homeschoolers, nonetheless, the homeschool movement was promoted by a very powerful and thoughtful think tank of persons in america who believed that they needed to rear generations of children who would have this kind of point of view and they do to this day
0: how how do they teach parents to teach the right you know so-called right thing
1: they are heavily funded, David. They are heavily funded and uh, they have done uh, what I consider to be uh, an insidious job of, uh, of indoctrination upon uh, parents. You know, what, what they've essentially done is made, their, made parents afraid that their children are going to be polluted. And so if you don't learn how to do things their way then you're going to lose your kids it's a very
0: powerful mix. and they do such a bad job of teaching their children not in every case but being a teacher is a skill a talent yeah. it's something that you learn it's something that you get better at one class after another after another yes and what one
1: would think that as a teacher that would contribute to the breadth <clears throat> of mind and in many cases it does but uh, in the christian nationalist movement it has not and it has been lashed so tightly to uh and to a, um an authoritarian ideology mm-hmm. and to um a, a domination of family and faith community and civic society that um, it's uh it's, it's almost a totally circular way of reasoning. Once you begin to accept the premises that they operate by, you can be taken right in. And by the way, they have done amazing practical work in terms of producing curricula for their schools that are age appropriate according to the way that they understand what different age groups should uh, I- involve. And they've also reached into higher education.
0: Do you know, one of the jobs I had, it's like 15 years ago now, we had a layoff at Dallas Voice. And so I was editing things like prospectuses and uh, other financial documents that had to be filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission by 7 a.m. So we were reading this garbage at like four in the morning. And I'll, I'll never forget two of the worst written prospectuses that I've ever looked at. One was uh, CNN. And I was like, they probably employ more writers than any other company in this country, and they can't write a single sentence. Oops. Well, they could write a single sentence. The first sentence of the prospectus went on for something like seven pages. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating I was like I was looking for some punctuation in this thing and there was none the other one was a company called K-12 one of the worst written pieces of garbage that I had ever read Mm. and they're one of the largest homeschool companies around
1: they have national conferences where they call parents together You know, who uh, are invited in to learn how to do this. And uh, uh, it's a very powerful movement. Actually, we have expressions of it that are local here in North Texas. It's like
2: ALEC for homeschooling. Yeah. And ALEC is is a group that puts together... Uh, crafts language for uh, bills to be introduced across the country in lockstep with each other That's right. um, in legislatures um, literally across the country and they produce bills like the don't say gay bill right. which really to me um, brings home this idea that uh, that you were just talking about Steve where the homeschoolers they, they don't want to participate in the other kinds of schools and so they set up their own but they still want to meddle in, and impose their religion upon public schools. And we see this now in really insidious ways with book banning, with this anti quote CRT, critical race theory, that they've embraced together as a lie. Yes. It's a complete lie that's been made up. Um, CRT has not been taught in schools. It's a, a, a fairly. Um, Elevated law school curriculum that's not even used in all law schools, right. and um, and yet they've 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 passed this lie that oh it's being taught in our schools as early as kindergarten and we must stop it, um, but it is another way of imposing their religious beliefs upon an entire the entire country, and yes. that's what I I see as. I, and even from our earliest roots, as you just said, in, in the settling and, and colonizing of America, it's, it seems like the, it isn't enough to teach your own kids. No. They must well, reach out and teach all kids and indoctrinate them in their religious Christian nationalism,
0: um, or they're not happy. Patty, when they don't have the actual thing, they make it up, like Antifa. Mm -hmm. I've been wanting to interview the head of Antifa for a long time. It's no such thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's correct.
0: I mean, it's a a shortening of the words anti-fascist. Why is that a bad thing? But it's not an organization. It doesn't exist. But to the right wing, oh, he must be Antifa. Oh, it was Antifa that uh, filled the January 6th protest.
2: Well, I have a theory about this. Critical right?
0: race theory, same thing. Doesn't exist.
2: Yeah, but we've got to pretend it does and so we can legislate against it. But I, I have this a, kind of a theory about this. Um, we, we see these organizations and these groups and these, these factions of, of Christian nationalists um, that lash out at others. And I, I see, hear them, when we have this saying, you know, every accusation is a projection. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I really do kind of think that they in their psyches they think if I'm s- shooting for control of others everyone else must be also um, because when we when we had um, we saw the Iraq war and the war in Afghanistan and and um, and terrorists like we, we encountered on 9/11 um, the they began to say, oh, well, Sharia law is going to take over the United States. When, in fact, none of that ever happened. No, And, and, and yet there's this myth, this made-up lie, that they begin to even legislate around. They begin legislating around, oh, Sharia law is going to take over the United States in every court. We've got to stop it. Um, because that's what they want to do they want to impose their beliefs on upon everybody else and so they must be that everybody else is wanting to do the same thing
1: yeah it's true Um, I I proposed um, opening this study for uh, st. Thomas the Apostle where I am and uh, I was not quite prepared for how eager people were to be a part of this Uh, not only locally because we had good attendance Uh, but also on Zoom because we had people from 16 different states. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Really an interesting group, uh, including the chair of the Social Action and Justice Committee of the Grace Presbyterian, the Presbyterian Church, right here in North Texas, who wanted to be a part of the conversation. One of the reasons that I felt so strongly about it was that I think that it is our responsibility to inform ourselves of what is going on with these groups, to understand them as best we can, because how else are we going to be able to deal with the agenda that they are proposing,
0: and doing so with such success? Steve, let's talk about that. Uh, We need to take a break. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with the late Patty Fink, and our guest is Steve Sprinkle. We'll be back with more right after this.
1: Hi, this is Candy Markham, and I listen to Lambda Weekly on 89.3
2: KNON-FM. Listen.
0: And welcome back to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet. Our guest is uh, Steve Sprinkle. The, he Reverend is Dr. the Reverend Doctor. The Reverend Doctor Steve, Steve Sprinkle. Sprinkle, the Emeritus Professor of Practical Theology at Bright Divinity School. Um, Bright Divinity School, by the way, congratulations on your football team. Not every divinity school has a, a football, football team. team that's about to play in the championships. Yep. Baylor must be uh, having connexions. Oh, I'm sure okay. they
2: are, but they always
0: they've got interest about something all the well, time. Well, the people
1: in Fort Worth think that God has elected a new Israel, <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: it's part, and it's purple. That's right; it's purple through and through over there. Okay, so here's one question I wanted to ask you. You were a professor of practical theology. Yes. Describe impractical theology.
1: <laughs> impractical theology is the kind of theology that doesn't touch the ground anywhere. <laughs> you know. It has no real impact on the way that people live. Ah. That's what uh, has promoted the joke about uh, professors living in an ivory tower. Mm. No, we don't. Mm. We don't put off living. And practical theology actually wants to engage life as it is really lived and talk about the spiritual values of life as it unfolds, first us all. You know one of my
2: absolutely f- favorite lines that you've you've said in the past is is that you and I may be the <laughs> only Bible that some people will ever read. It's true. And I, I think that's so powerful. and I think Bible could be interchanged with other religious texts for other religions. I think so. But I think when we live our faith, and it's real, and people see it in how we behave and how, how we carry ourselves and how we treat others. Um, it just doesn't get any better than that.
1: Right. And it begins by, I think, uh, people of, of real faithful convi- conviction living their lives in such a way that we're not perceived as being jerks. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's really hard for me to imagine a Christian nationalist not being a
2: jerk. Well... <laughs> There you go. And certainly every white supremacist I've ever encountered in my life is yeah. beyond jerk. Well, I've got
1: a recommendation uh, for the audience uh, to look for this book because it is an important book in this area of study. It's by uh, a religion scholar named Julie J. Ingersoll, I N G E R S O L L. It's called Building God's Kingdom uh, Inside the world of Christian Reconstruction. And Christian Reconstruction is uh, uh, a sect of Christian nationalism. Relatively small, but it's been very powerful because it drew upon the work of uh, an important American intellectual, a fundamentalist thinker, whose name was R.J. Rush Dooney. I often refer to him, Patty, as the most influential 20th century thinker nobody has ever heard of. (laughs) Because his ideas have been seminal behind what we were talking about before, the homeschool movement, but also about this authoritarian point of view. Uh, Because he he laid out the roadbed for what Christian nationalism has done. And even though not all Christian nationalists may even be aware that his thought is operating in them, it certainly is. So take a look at uh, Julie J. Ingersoll, Building God's Kingdom. It is a really important read.
0: What happened in Congress this week, I think is a good example of what can happen uh, and how powerful, even though they don't have a majority, just a handful of extremists can be. Yes. Um, I mean, we never had this kind of problem in Congress when George Santos was Speaker of the House.
1: (laughs) That's what he said, right? (laughs) George Santos. What a piece of work. The poster child for the modern
0: GOP. (laughs) You know, it should be... it should be very embarrassing to, to the LGBT community that he claims to be gay. Oh, it is. well I was mortified. No, but the point is he's done so much else that's bad and wrong and lied about everything that the gay part is almost like, eh, it, it's being ignored. It's It's not being held up as, well, you see, that's what the gay person does. Right. And the LGBTQ
1: community is sitting back, hoping that he's been lying about that too. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, he really has just—he is really the, the to me the the culmination of what the um, the Republican Party the, the and the Trumpism is all about. Yeah. It's the uh, there's not one thing anyone on either side of the aisle can point to that say that says that is a fact about this guy. It's true. We don't know his age. We don't know his real name. I loved the reporters in the hallway chasing him down on the, on the first day after he'd said he'd already been sworn in on his website yeah, yeah. that, um, you know, what's your legal name? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Perhaps it's just a joke. But uh, uh, the, the rumor rolling around the Internet is that George Santos uh, credits his weight loss to the way that reporters have been chasing him around the Capitol building. <laughs> they say he's lost six pounds. Since. wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't
2: surprise me a bit. Because he has he has been hounded everywhere he goes. Yeah. As well he should be, I think. Yeah. I, I think, think that right that speaks um hugely to
1: where he is in our ethos today well and and i think it's symptomatic too of the of the assault that has been carried out upon truth and fact and science it's uh it's we usually point at donald trump as being the source of a great deal of that because of course he was the statesman this week isn't that something do you remember when he claimed everything was a hoax? It's a witch hunt. It's a hoax. And so he began by saying, are you going to believe your own eyes or are you going to believe me
0: when I tell you lie after lie
1: after lie?
0: But this week, he, he's the one who tried to pull the Republican Party together and rally around McCarthy.
2: And you know what he he pretty much failed i I think his relevance and his ability to do that is but it, just is on the, the fact in. that
0: he was acting a, as a statesman i don't, statesman is a as okay a, as a a unifier. over as somebody trying to do the right thing <laughs> uh, yeah i don't give him that much credit I, I i just don't i think compared to his previous behavior. It was head and shoulders above anything he's done before. Oh, yeah.
2: Well, at the, at the in the ultimate in the day the the day that they were on like the twelfth ballot, he says, "Okay, I'll be I I could be House Speaker." <laughs> I mean, he lives in La, La land. My favorite of the week, though, was you know the the rift that had had torn between um, Marjorie, three names, mm-hmm. Taylor and, Gain, and, yeah. and um, Lauren Boebert, and Matt Gaetz when. When Mar- large Marge stands up and says to Lauren Boebert and Matt Gaetz, "You're living in a fantasy world," <laughs> <laughs> it just it just encapsulated for me the well you know, a different Boebert's fantasy party. world than she lives in. It's not that, yeah, it's a different fantasy world <laughs> than she lives in because I'm like, woman, you live in a fantasy world of all your own. <laughs> but you can. But yell it's a at different the other one. Guys. It's a different one, and it, it is one all her own. Well, you know, God of your own planet, I guess, but it, it what a what a week what a week to, to watch this nonsense in this this uh
0: so here's what I don't understand. I understand waiting overnight, you have some negotiations, but they took a vote. he didn't win, they took another vote. he lost a vote. they took another vote, they adjourned for the night. they took a vote. It was the same as the day before, so they took another vote. And they just kept till twelve ballots. No, fifteen.
2: Fifteen.
1: Yeah. It was fifteen. Well, no, no, no. no. At,
0: at twelve, he finally started gaining some uh, some votes. It's the but,
2: definition of insanity, isn't it? Let's do the. Let's not even wait three minutes,
0: oh, and we'll yeah. just vote again. Madam
2: clerk, <laughs> I nominate. Just start right on over, right again. Yeah. Do it. Do exactly the same thing again. Um. But.
0: But getting back to George Santos, mm. is that an indication of what we are going to see for the next two years? Chaos. hmm And also
1: um, a group of legislators, who are legislators in name only, who really despise government and they want to see the whole thing burned down. Remember who some of these people are. Some who are under indictment for what they did on January the 6th in 2021. Uh, others who have been election deniers thoroughly even before Even though they won. January 6th. Oh, yes. Yes. And now they are in place. And the irony of the fact that... Uh, that Speaker McCarthy was uh, given the Speaker's chair and gavel on the anniversary <clears throat> of the January sixth insurrection shouldn't be lost on any of us. And he never mentioned
2: a word about it. He never acknowledged the the day. No. He never acknowledged the event. No. He just rolled on like it had never happened. Right.
1: And um, that's frightening to me. And so Santos is actually a carbuncle (laughs) on all this disease. You see him, but he is indicative of the problem that uh, has gone about the business of hijacking the House of Representatives.
0: So one of the concessions was that any one member of the House of Representatives can now bring down the Speaker of the House can call can introduce a, a vote for it. Right. They have to vote on it. Sure.
2: It's a motion to vacate, so they introduce a motion to vacate the chair and everybody has to stop and
0: vote on it. Okay, so how long till the first vote?
2: Let's just talk let's <clears throat> just I want to point out this one fact. When the 15th ballot came um kevin mccarthy won the speakership by winning 216 votes which is two less than the majority Mm -hmm. of the house of representatives In um after four ballots that ran into the night and he didn't even make a majority on the one he won on he had to have enough people vote present to subtract from the total thereby lowering the the number that the majority would become which was 216 so to get to 218 on a regular basis on really anything even including a motion to vacate i think is going to be very difficult and interestingly i mean they have 222 republicans um, in the house today, and that's the majority that Nancy Pelosi had. She won on her first ballot, and they moved forward. And look at the legislation and stuff that they have done for this country in the last two years. But they, the other side, does not know how to govern, and they don't want to govern. I mean, to your point, Steve, they don't—they have no intentions of governing. No. But what will be interesting is there are eighteen representatives who won in Biden majority districts. And if they, for example, vote against raising the the debt ceiling, they're they're just going to be toast when they go back to their districts. And so those 18, and we're talking about such tiny margins, Mm -hmm. those 18 may very well work with Democrats to do good things for the country or stop bad things for the country um, because they really can't afford to continue in their careers in Congress
0: if – you know, they they start doing destructive stuff. George Santos' district is the perfect example. Mm-hmm. But there was another uh, uh, one or two districts in New York. There are four districts in California. They're not going to be able to side with Matt Gates on anything, and uh, and hope to be reelected.
1: Well, speaking of Matt Gates, he almost got his hash settled. <laughs> 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 when, when this representative from Arkansas...
2: <laughs> he came for
1: him. <laughs> yeah, he sure did. He was going to poke him in the face. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, this is what we've been reduced to as a country. Yes. What bad legislation do you think we have to look forward to? Even if it doesn't pass, we'll have to work to defeat it.
1: Well, the- the critical legislation will be on the debt ceiling so that the good faith and credit of the United States of America will be on the line.
0: And but don't we want that in order to show that uh, Biden can't govern?
1: Well, all and when I doing. say we, I'm yeah,
0: being facetious.
1: They, what they want, I'm sure, is to grab the spotlight. They want the press and the media to be focused on them. Look how we can do crazy and make money. We can raise money off of this. So one of the
2: writers I read in, in Vanity Fair um, wrote a piece about this and, and called them Congressional Kardashians <laughs> <laughs> ah. with, two, with K on each one because they're all out for the spotlight and the, and the um, uh, attention. They have. They have. It's it's performative. It's all. It's, they're really a party of performance. Per, performative grievance, yeah. and it's not about doing serious work, um, the work of the people. When they talk about that, what what are they talking about? Out of out of the largest side of their mouths, they're talking about going after Hunter Biden and his laptop, and investigating Biden President Biden and investigating all of these things and they're wanting to issue subpoenas and get to the bottom of this and that I'm thinking after you blew off the subpoenas from the January 6th committee go right ahead but they're not going to be able to govern because they don't even have the topics that America needs to have governance over they're they're off doing this thing that's going to own the libs that's that's what they're about and It, beyond that, if they get something done, I'll be surprised.
1: Me too.
2: You know, it's 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 going to be chaos with a K as
0: well. We we need to take a break, but uh, let's when we come back, let's talk about the damage that could be done on a statewide level. Mm. The legislature begins meeting on Tuesday. Uh, are you going down for the opening of the legislature? I, I am not. I, am I will not. be there. I, I'm sure you will, and you'll have to you'll have to get good <laughs> pictures of all of our good folks down there getting sworn in i certainly will try the number of people who are members of the lgbt caucus has grown to the point where it's going to be really difficult to get eight of them together in one like herding cats (laughs) (laughs) you're listening to lambda weekly on 89.3 knon fm i'm dave taffett here in the studio with the late patty fink leron will be back with us next week and our guest is steve sprinkle we'll be back with more right after this I'm Christina from the Owens, and I listen to Lambda Weekly on A9.3 (laughs) K-N-O-N-F-F. See you later. And this is Lambda Weekly. We're talking to Steve Sprinkle. He's the Emeritus Professor of Practical Theology from Bright Divinity School, home of the Horned Frogs. It's not every Divinity School that has a winning football team.
2: No Mm -hmm. kidding. And and tomorrow's the big day,
1: I hear. Go Frogzilla.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We do wish them luck. We're joking. But Bright Divinity School is on the campus of TCU, for anybody who didn't know. Um, I want to get back to what we were talking about, uh, which was we were just getting into the legislature. But how did Bright Divinity School go from being such a conservative school, it was founded as a very conservative divinity school, to one that probably uh, graduates more LGBT uh, ministers than any other similar divinity school?
1: I think that there were two things. Uh, one thing, surely, was the deanship and then presidency of Leo G. Purdue. Uh, He was the first president of Bright when Bright actually stood forward as an independent divinity school and seminary. Um, He is the one who had the vision for the diversity that now uh, is a hallmark of what Bright has become. Uh, He saw to it that the number of women began to increase on the faculty. He brought the first African American in as professor, the first Latina as professor, the first Jew as professor, the first openly LGBTQIA person, myself, as a professor. He had that vision. He also had the vision that Bright would become the intellectual center for faith communities across the country. And so that is one reason that the vision of diversity grew. The other thing that caused that was an increasing emphasis upon accreditation and higher education to make sure that the people who were teaching had uh, terminal degrees from the very best institutions. That made a difference in Brighton.
0: Mm -hmm. Hmm.
2: And it it does have that that reputation for uh, not just, um, I hate this word, I really do, tolerating, yeah. but actually embracing and celebrating different points of view
1: and um, a big tent. That's right. And one of the things I'm proudest of in my career is that uh, teaching there, I've been able to host uh, Patty and Aaron and David Uh all of you who have come in to bring your own wisdom to the students of Bright Divinity. Well, it's been a
2: joy uh, and an honor to be able to do that. I, I continue to thank you for that well, opportunity. Well, I, I hope
0: that they will continue it. And Patty would question whether, in my case, it was wisdom. It was what? Wisdom.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think you have some nuggets that that are shareable. Um in 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 your world and um i I think it's kind of cool that you're able to do that i mean a a lot of people um even people i work with um in conversation have have never met a person they know to be jewish Mm -hmm. i'm like how do you even live here and not meet someone who is Jewish. And I, I said, I can't even count the number of my Jewish friends um, and my Muslim friends and uh-huh. so many others. And um, the, the fact that Bright um, proactively uh-huh. um, seeks to have a diverse um, faculty and a diverse student body, I think, is is fascinating.
1: Well, I, I think it's also... Um Uh, a sign of hope for all of us who live in the Metroplex and in North Texas because it shows that institutions and values can change and can change significantly and substantively because that's what happened at Bright. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the change was uh, from (coughs) the top to bottom from the Board of Trustees and its policies all the way down to uh, the way that staff uh, of the school were vetted and hired, do you have any sense and I'm sure you must have some
2: some sort of stats within bright um, but what do people who attend bright and and obtain a, a master's divinity or a, a doctorate i'm sure I'm sure they offer a doctor program. Um, where do they end up serving and how do they serve? They serve. Because not everybody yeah. goes directly into, oh. say, a church environment and becomes a minister or yeah. a pastor.
1: They serve all across the waterfront, so to speak, uh, and do all kinds of things. Uh, we have uh, people who are in all forms of civic life elected officials, judges. We have the head of nonprofits, plenty of them. When you take a look at institutions that employ chaplains in terms of hospice, hospitals, industrial chaplains, I mean, the, our folk are, are everywhere like that.
2: In fact, um, one, one of your, your past students um, now heads the, the uh, North Texas office of Lambda Legal. Exactly. That's right. Avery Bellew. A- and converted to Judaism. That's
1: right. <laughs> and to Avery certainly did. Avery, be, Avery Bellew is the one you're speaking about. And that. she's been a guest on our show several times. Right. And um, <clears throat> I, I think that that's a real sign that, uh, that people in this time in which we live really want enlightened, spiritually based people who understand what living is about. And uh, are not just tolerant, but celebrate the diversity that we share. We live in one of the most diverse places in the United States of America here. Just think about when people go to bed at night in this metroplex, how many different languages are spoken when people say goodnight to each other? Hundreds. Hundreds. That's right. And um, so it has been a matter of learning how to embody what was already present. I have a former
2: coworker who who left the, left the job and and was in um, getting her master's of divinity and because she had been in health i t um, and from a medical records perspective um, chose to to take her degree and work on the mercy ships right and not in, 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 a, in a clerical kind of, of way as a minister, but also as a minister in yeah. addition to her job and, uh, and running like the computer um, software, the electronic medical record stuff.
1: I'd uh, like to circle back for just a moment <coughs> to um, the vocation that people usually associate a seminary and divinity school with, and that is uh, leaders of religious communities pastors, rabbis, priests. Uh, actually, it, it is, uh, I think, a very important mission of a school like Bright to educate leaders like that so that there in the midst of uh, the broad sweep of uh, religious communities in the country, we're going to have enlightened leaders who are not going to put up with intolerance, who are not going to allow bigotry. Who are going to speak out against it, to have zero tolerance against uh, violence, uh, I've often thought that that is one of the most important things I ever did at Bright. Because if a person was going to go through the supervised ministry program in Bright Divinity School, they were going to have to come through Big Gay Steve. <laughs> <laughs> and they learned that uh, we had more in common with each other. Than difference. And they learn to value that. That's an important gift that a school like Bright, and may I say also, a school like Perkins, Perkins does the same at SMU. I mean, that provide educated, humane, open, and passionate people about things like justice and equality.
2: And and that is the sort of um, the heart and intellect at the center of this movement. If you don't have passion in your heart and understand
1: what needs to be done and how to get there, none of this happens. Right. And David, you were talking about my being a practical theologian. Practical Mm -hmm. theology then uh, says that uh, how we understand ourselves with spirit and in the world is going to have practical benefits for people around us Mm -hmm. and indeed that is the
0: case now before the break we had mentioned and we're running out of time i do want to get to this the legislature is opening this week uh 30 some odd bills have already been filed against the trans community mostly it's also against drag queens but i guess they're conflating the two Trans people, drag queens—it's it—it screams misinformation and
2: and and lies about our community. All these bills and this, their misunderstanding of who we are, even what a drag queen is. That, I mean, these people don't understand.
0: I, I mean, I, I've told the story on the air before. One of my favorite demonstrations against uh, the uh, drag queen story time was last year. There were two groups that came to protest against uh, Drag Queen Storytime. And they ended up protesting each other because the Catholics didn't think the Protestants were doing it right. The Protestants didn't think the Catholics were doing it right. So they protested against each other. And the protest against Drag Queen Storytime just uh, didn't really happen. What is it, from a religious standpoint... That people have against the trans community, that they feel that these people who have nothing to do with them other than they have a job, they contribute as people to our community, what do they have against them that they need to legislate? Things like they can't get health care. And there are several bills that, have, that are related to health care. Yeah.
1: Well, lurking behind it all, as far as I'm concerned, is what Patty brought up just a few minutes ago, and that is ignorance, misinformation, and fear. Fear of difference. Um, we, we cannot afford the luxury of that kind of misinformation and disinformation in today's culture. But uh, patriarchy and the idea of whiteness have made a toxic brew. And uh, these people who believe that they are defending God and defending uh, traditional, quote, American values, quote unquote. Are behind so much of this misguided and harmful legislation
0: you know the misinformation part I get we've given them the information they don't want it Um, children are being harmed in the uh, child welfare system because they're not being paid attention to while children who are in loving homes with parents who are taking care of them are being bombarded a- and in some cases are not being bombarded because the person assigned to the case has quit as a result yep. so that's more children that aren't being looked into.
1: I think that the greatest, um, the greatest danger that I perceive we face in uh, our area of the country is apathy. So many people are tired. They're tired after COVID. They're in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, And they've, just look at what happened this last election cycle, too many of us stayed home. Mm -hmm. We didn't vote, Um, which actually basically proves, I think what uh, Beto O'Rourke claimed that we were not uh, a conservative state. We were a non-voting state. That has to stop. Texas
0: in the last election, I don't know whether that was true this election too, had the lowest voter turnout.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, Steve and I were talking during the break about um, how much better we as the LGBTQ community can do to really stand up for the trans community. And we haven't. We have not sufficiently been out there and in people's faces and made it s- supremely clear with no question about where we stand as a community. Um, I think s- some individuals have done better than others, but as a community, mm-hmm. we really have not stood up for our, our trans and non-binary um, brothers and sisters and oh. siblings, and I, we, we have such an opportunity to do that this session.
1: Well, for people in faith communities, there are really practical things that can be done very easily. Just about every faith community I know of has a prayer time when people are able to mention prayer concerns. It's been my conviction, where I'm serving as theologian in residence, that the trans community needs to be mentioned out loud in public in our prayers every single gathering. And that's what we've done. Unless that consciousness is raised, and unless we take a view that these are our siblings, these are our people, then we're not going to see that change. And we're going to fall victim to this crowd who want to talk about God, guns, and Greg down in the legislature. And we have such an opportunity we could.
2: um, Think about it. These, These parents with their kids, they're taking... Taking care of them, these kids that are are um, seeking gender affirming care throughout the state, they have been targeted in a really serious way yes. by seeking CPS after them for investigation. So they're not gonna, they're not in a position where they can stand up and lobby their legislators, the representatives who um, who've been elected um, in Austin to represent each each and every one of us. We, we need to do that lobbying. Yes, we do. Um, for them to speak up it just makes themselves even more of a target. Right. So we need to be there in droves by the, by the hundreds, by the thousands, to tell those legislators this
0: is a really serious issue and you're not the majority. You're and not the majority lobby us. days are coming. We'll announce them as I hear about them. Uh, Steve, I want to thank you for being with us again.
1: Thank you for the invitation. It's always an honor to be with
0: you. And it's always fun to have you here. For all of us here at Lambda Weekly, have a good week.